I, I can't focus unless the gun is on the table. Nothing is normal or natural or everything is game. I'm gonna start a collection of puddings and coupons that can be redeemed for freaking fire miles. We have to get out of this building. They made soup out of my research department. See, this is the, the scene of the movie where you help me out. According to the dictionary, oil is a viscous liquid derived from petroleum, especially for use for fuel or lubricant. Hello, and welcome to <laughs> West versus Paul versus Paul versus Predator, the only podcast that I'm aware of about Wes Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson, and Paul W.S. Anderson. My name, well, it's Eric Anderson. My name, Jeremy Anderson. Welcome. Welcome. Jeremy. Welcome to hell, right? <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The world in the movie that we're about to talk about certainly. Yeah. Seems like it, and the like, world we're currently living in seems yeah. like hell. Also, <laughs> can't escape it. Yeah. Man, there's. Uh, I gotta say, this is a big one for me. This episode is personally a, a big one. I was more excited to talk about this and the master than I think any of the other films in I in any of the other directors' entire filmographies. So I yeah, I'm just excited that you know we, we sometimes we record multiple episodes at once, and I'm ex- I, I I just love that we're recording. There will be blood and Muppet Christmas Carol <laughs> episodes <laughs> back to back. And don't you kind of feel like a Muppet Christmas Carol is sort of like the other side of the coin of There Will Be Blood, though? Like, don't you yeah, think Daniel of. Plainview is kind of an Ebenezer Scrooge who doesn't learn his lesson in the end? <laughs> that's a good, you know, that's a good point. Yeah, it's it, they're Everybody both about, like, way. greed and capitalism rotting a man from the inside out. Uh, right. To the point where literal ghosts show up to haunt them. Uh, you could read Daniel Plainview's brother as a ghost of Christmas past, so to speak. Mm. <laughs> you could. Yeah. But um, I think, uh, but yeah, uh, again, though, one is light and charming and full of music, and one is dark and gritty and full of music. <laughs> yeah. Either way, you're getting music. You're getting music. Uh, Jeremy, the uh, we have a Patreon going. It's uh, It's December, so we're doing, like I said, Muppet Christmas Carol. So yeah, we're we're covering. Uh, we have covered uh, rare exports. We did eight crazy nights. Um, we're we're ending twenty twenty with an episode on Ghostbusters two. Oh yeah, can't wait. <laughs> the, the notable, yeah, uh, the most well known New Year's Eve movie of all time. That's great course. though. I think that's a great pick. And honestly, never seen it before. Can't wait to watch it. Um, so, Jeremy, tell me about your history with There Will Be Blued. Yes, There Will Be Blued uh, came out, obviously, in 2007. Uh, very late, I want to stress, it came out very late in 2007, so it could get into the awards circuit for that year. Um, I believe I saw it literally in December when it when it came out. Uh, I was there day one at the movie theater. By this point, I was a Paul Thomas Anderson fanatic, I was watching all of the trailers that he would stealthily edit and then drop onto YouTube, um, which the I don't know if you went back through and watched any of the marketing for the film or any of the commercials surrounding it, but it was 
it was untouchable. I, I, I describe it as being almost... The marketing for There Will Be Blood to me is almost as good as the film is itself. It's so mysterious, yet so inviting and haunting. I think that the trailers for The Master are and Inherent Vice and Phantom Thread are also very good too. I just think the guy does good trailers. And I know that mm. PTA actually cuts a lot of them himself. So... Um, mm. It's 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 always you're always in for a treat when a new PTA film is coming out because also the marketing material is done by him usually. Uh, I saw it on opening night. I was very close to the screen and very far to the right, and mm. it did <laughs> not matter. I I Good. couldn't have been more happy to be there. I almost didn't get in. I feel like for some whatever reason, and um, it was majestic. I thought it was one. I thought it was the greatest film I've ever seen. And I was so rooting for it that year at the Oscars. Um, I had seen No Country for Old Men at that point, I believe. I believe I had seen it already, or I would see it shortly after. And I, some of the trivia the film will get to is like, this film and No Country for Old Men are very similar tonally. And they're both like A plus films in my opinion. Mm. And so that year at the Oscars, you kind of didn't know what to root for. You were like, uh, these are both excellent. And these people both deserve best picture and best director. And they both mm. hadn't won it yet. <laughs> um, it and they're both like, literally they were both shot in the same area to the point where PTA's film affected the shooting schedule of the mm. Coen brothers movie. But uh, this film is very long and it is very rough and intense and meandery and beautiful yet not very light. So it's a film that doesn't get watched a lot by me. I think that this is the first time I've seen the film in about seven years. And after watching Magnolia, a film that I was a little colder on this go around, I kind of thought maybe that was going to happen to me with There'll Be Blood on on this rewatch. And we'll find out later how I felt. Eric, what about you? What's your history with the film? You know, while you were speaking, Jeremy, I, I did write down um, uh, uh, No Country for Old Men. I haven't revisited that movie since I probably, I remember I rented it when it like came out on DVD or whatever. Um I got to revisit that one. But uh, yeah, There Will Be Blood. I mean, I had seen, I think, Boogie Nights um, and Punch Drunk for sure. And then uh, There Will Be Blood came out in 07. And I remember it came out. Um, I think I remember by the time that I... Okay, September 27th, 2007. Uh, so... This was like I had just gone away to college, mm -hmm. and I remember uh, my college roommate was like, "You gotta see There Will Be Blood. It's it's the best." He was just he he loved it, and I trusted his taste in movies a lot. And then I yeah. kept hearing other people talking about it, and uh, I remember I finally watched it. I did not sadly I did not see it during the theatrical release, but I did uh. watch it during the middle of a day. I re I remember on like a Tuesday. Uh, or something. It was like a weekday and <laughs> during the just day. like a bright winter's day. Yeah. And it was one of those movies where you just, you see a matinee of it and you're like, well, I guess I got to like 
live through the rest of this day. Like, I don't right. know. Like, it just really like it, it. It leaves you with a lot to think about. It's it's crazy. And yeah, I was actually gonna mention the same thing as you did. Is this is a movie that just because of like just how like heavy it is, yeah. and um, you know, it's it just it. Some of the imagery, it's just like I don't want to like experience this movie that often, but that doesn't mean that I like don't think this is arguably a perfect movie. Like, I think this is like pretty close to a perfect movie. I mean, I don't like have anything bad to say about this movie, um, at all, really. Yeah, like I think I remember I saw, I mean, I, I didn't see Citizen Kane until. You know, I didn't go to film school, but I took, uh, I had like an elective in college and I was like, oh, I could take this like sort of just like introductory film class where I ended up seeing some of the classics for the first time. Um, and Citizen Kane was one of them. Oh, wow. And uh, I remember my first time watching Citizen Kane was, you know, this was only like seven years ago or something. And I loved it. Yeah. And then watching this, I was like, again, I was like, I think this is like better than Citizen Kane, like as a movie. Like I think this is our, this is like my generation's like Citizen Kane. Although I don't think my generation can really have a Citizen Kane because there's just so much media. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. There's only but, one Citizen Kane, and it's not even as good as Citizen Kane. You know? Yeah. Uh, Citizen Kane is like a shorthand for the best thing ever in a category right. so if you're like oh that car that's the citizen kane of cars <laughs> well, the best thing the best piece of art of film that's like about greed basically and like oh, capitalism yeah. mm-hmm. and, and yeah. america and uh i rewatched that yeah. also this week by the way <laughs> oh yeah because you just watched mank right i did i watched mank and then i and then for double double feature feature the two films i picked were mank and citizen kane um so i revisited both of them and so i'm really in the greed uh early 1900s greed genre right now <laughs> mm. great christmas uh uh-huh. sort of marathon to go on <laughs> uh you know obviously a big selling point for me being a guy who there was like one year um where i pretty much only listened to radiohead a uh, huge selling point for this movie for me was the score by Johnny Greenwood, mm. and he has since done some other great scores for for PTA. At least one, uh, multiple, I think. Right? I know he did the Master. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Phantom Green- Thread too, I think. Yeah, he, and Inherent Vice. He's done all of okay. them after Punch Drunk. Punch Drunk was, I guess, Paul Thomas Anderson's farewell to John Bryan. And what a score to go out on. I think Punch Drunk Love has easily... It rivals this film for best score in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, I think. I think that There'll Be Blood and Punch Drunk are so far my two favorites. Um, And they're kind of not even that dissimilar. Like, I could see them collaborating, Johnny Greenwood and John Bryan. But Johnny Greenwood, yeah, he starts with There'll Be Blood, and then he just does every film after that with PTA. And PTA directs Radiohead music videos and stuff. Like, he's up in the Radiohead thing now. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, yeah. Anyway, I was a big fan of, uh, the, the score as well. I, I would, like, listen to the score a lot when I was, like, 
studying in college and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I forget the names. There were like there were like two or three tracks on there that I like regularly would really loved as just like songs that I would listen to. But um, yeah, I don't know, Jeremy. It sounds like you might have some interesting uh, tidbits about There Will Be Blood. I've got the old uh, IMDb trivia pulled up. As oh well. yeah, baby. Uh, is there anything you wanna you wanted to get started with? I mean, uh, yeah, we can get into like a little bit of the um, the the who who did what's on the film. We got PTA, of course, directing and writing. He's adapting this from apparently from Upton Sinclair's Oil, but I don't know if you've ever read the novel Oil or actually read, you have. Jeremy, Jeremy, you know if you're pronouncing the novel correctly, it's actually pronounced Oil. <laughs> got that exclamation point it does have an exclamation point you're absolutely right yeah uh <laughs> upton sinclair who by the way uh is played by bill nye in mank interesting yeah bill nye plays upton sinclair I... who's running for governor of california um so yeah upton sinclair writes this novel it features a character named daniel plainview it is about oil drilling other than that though there is a character named paul and there is a character named eli but Paul Thomas Anderson is like doing some crazy shit with this adaptation. It's not really from what I gather from reading the plot synopsis on Wikipedia. This is not really like what the book is like. Um, but I could be wrong, I guess, but I, I, I really don't get that. I, I've read the plot synopsis. Apparently I don't, I don't think the, the Sunday boys play a very big role at all in the film in the book. And, um so yeah this came out in december 26th 2007 so i saw it literally the day after christmas <laughs> uh <laughs> budget was 25 million dollars it made 76 million dollars this is the highest grossing film that paul thomas anderson has ever made i believe a lot of that is in part due to daniel day lewis uh who is coming out of retirement to play this role uh daniel day lewis uh worked on his role for Daniel Plainview for three years. He did it because he liked Punch Drunk Love so much. Mm. In fact, producers of the film said that if it wasn't for Daniel Day-Lewis, this film probably wouldn't have got made. He's sort of the big fish that PTA was able to to rope that allowed him to be able to make this film. Um, lots of the film is taken from a lot of various sources. For example, the milkshake scene is like... It comes from... Um, and, and this is in Anderson's own words, quote, I think it was Albert Fall who was asked to describe drainage before Congress and his way of describing it was, if you have a milkshake and I have a milkshake and my straw reaches across the room, dot, dot, dot. He goes, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure I embellished it and changed it around and made it more plain view, but Fall used the word milkshake and I thought that it was so great. It was mad to see that word among all of his official testimony and terminology. Uh, I agree with him. Um, yeah, apparently Paul Dano came in to play the role of Paul and, uh, not Eli. Eli had been cast by someone else. I wonder who that person was. I can't figure out who it was. Um, but yeah, apparently, uh, yeah, Dano got, once he started filming that scene as Paul, PTA was like, actually, uh, I want you to play Eli also and uh recast him right then and there as twins like re like retroactively rewrote it so that they were twins (laughs) so that is something that uh 
does confuse me when I watch this movie because yeah. I watch it so irregularly. Mm-hmm. Like I, this is maybe the third time I've seen this movie. Uh, and uh, it, it does confuse me every time for a second. I'm like, wait, that's, they're, okay, right, they're twins. Like, it takes me a second. Yeah, I I always thought when I, when I saw it for the first time that um, they're the same person, and it really confused yeah, me, me for too. most of the movie. Um, I thought maybe they were playing a trick on the dad or something for a while. Like, I thought all kinds of weird things before figuring out, no, they're just twins. But, like, no one says they're twins in the film. So I know it's yeah. hard to <laughs> it's hard to figure it out. Um, uh, among the other like really famous like things about this film, like depending on like how much of a comedy fan you are, uh, what's his name the uh, the improviser uh, the for Del Close. No, no, not you know you know who I'm talking about the uh, the UCB guy the Matt Paul F. Paul F. Tompkins famously has a very uh, small cameo in the movie, but his face is like <laughs> in it front okay. and center for the scene. He does look like a guy that would live in there will be blood world. Totally. He's in the scene where Daniel Plainview is talking to the other town that he doesn't actually drill in. Uh, and he's like, he's like standing right next to Daniel Plainview. You can see his face all over the movie. It's very funny. Um, and then I had like one more, um, one more little uh, just short story uh, that to share with you, which I think that you'll get a kick out of. So mm-hmm. there will be blood is obviously like a movie. Like we just, just, we just mentioned this about the twins thing. It doesn't hold your hand, right? It doesn't explain a lot of things. So um, if you go into this movie, very cold, say you've never even seen a trailer for it. Um, at, this was the case for one of my friend's girlfriends who, uh, the movie's called There Will Be Blood. She sits in the theater. She had never heard anything about it before. She thought that the film was about vampires <laughs> for the entire movie until it was over and then realized that it wasn't about vampires. <laughs> like, and, and if you watch it thinking it's about vampires... I could see that. You could totally see it being about vampires. Like, There's nothing to tell you that it's not about vampires. And I think that is so funny to be like to just be like a slightly off in your interpretation of what's going on a little bit and be like, huh, this is weird. Wait, what? Huh? <laughs> like, this isn't yeah. about vampires at all. Oh, <laughs> uh, love it. That's bonkers. I guess I'm trying to think of what the, um, I'm trying to picture what the poster would have been when she went in to see this movie. It might just um, be his face in like darkness. Ah, yes. Okay. Um, so a few, uh, other uh, random, uh, pieces of trivia that I thought were kind of interesting. Uh, first film directed by PTA, not to feature, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Uh, Hoffman right. what hadn't passed away yet, but, right. um, I think he was doing Synecdoche, New York at the time. Uh, I think that's the story. Daniel Day Lewis based his voice for, uh, and characterization of Daniel Plainview, uh, on old recordings of director, writer, and actor John Huston. And John Huston uh, also comes up in the trivia as uh, PTA. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, but PTA said that he watched The Treasure of Sierra, the Sierra Madre every night mm. before filming uh, There Will Be Blood, which made me want to watch that movie because I've never seen it before. Yeah, neither have I. Um, PTA told Entertainment Weekly magazine <laughs> that the fake oil used throughout the movie included, quote, the stuff they put in chocolate milkshakes at McDonald's. 
I wonder if he's just talking about chocolate. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's a weird <laughs> way to describe chocolate. <laughs> um, and then this is my favorite. Every night during editing, PTA and company would have just steak and straight vodka for dinner to keep in the mentality of Daniel Plainview. That's so fun. It's so unnecessary and uh, like cool. <laughs> yeah, to be honest with you, that actually... like kind of sa- i'm a vegetarian and i don't really drink that much uh, but that <laughs> sounds, sounds like kind of appetizing to oh, me. oh <laughs> yeah yeah i agree i totally agree i think it does sound uh like a lot of fun to like kind of live that life for a while i think that's cool yeah yeah um you know jeremy i think we're gonna have a lot to talk about with this dang plot so I agree. let's dive on in the year is 1892. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Plainview is a silver prospector mining a potentially precious ore vein. Uh, in the process of dynamiting the load, he falls and breaks his, uh, his leg. Uh, he serves a silver sample, uh, climbs, saves a silver sample, climbs out of the mine, and drags himself to an assay office where he receives a silver and gold certification claim. Uh, so already pretty like gritty stuff. I mean, we're seeing yeah. this guy get pretty terribly. This is like probably one of my like le like the a job that I would want to do the absolute least is work <laughs> down in like an oil mine. Yeah, it it definitely um it definitely feels to me like I could kind of relate because I've done like UCB 101, you know. Okay, yeah. Which is kind of like I've that done, for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was. I did. We we both did work study too, right? Yeah, yeah. That that was also that was. I was like climbing through a uh, oil mine all the way to a nearby town. No, but in all seriousness, yeah. I think that um, this is one of the more compelling visual storytelling films. Like, if I was going to teach a class about how to tell a story visually without dialogue or exposition i would do it i would show this film because i think there's like you know everything you need to know about who daniel plainview is from just seeing this opening sequence like he's a guy that won't give up he's desperate he's on his last limbs and he is whatever is driving him we don't quite know that but we know that it is fierce and we also i think we could also guess at what's driving him it's like the harsh environment and terrain of the late 1800s I think it's about like it's it's a it's already immediately a film about you know how do you make your own way in America you know and and like we'll get to this more as as time goes on but this isn't inherently I know it takes place in America but it is inherently an American film like America is based on the prospect that you can come from nothing and become something. And it's these types of men in history and these types of stories that people like look at with admiration and they cite as examples of ways that this was accomplished. And I think that I, I already love it as being sort of an indictment um, for that. And, and also notably, and I counted this this time because I didn't know the answer before, but if you do not count, uh, Daniel Day Lewis saying the word. I I think he says no in a whisper when he falls down the mine shaft. Uh, if you do not count that, his like little whispered like it's almost an agony. He says no. The first mm. line of dialogue is spoken at minute fourteen. So there's wow. nothing said for fourteen whole cool. minutes except visual storytelling. Yeah, 
It's really good. I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's interesting you point out, like, because that was something that I was thinking about a lot, too, during this movie, is, like, you don't really know, like, what um, what uh, uh, Daniel Plainview's, like, motivation is at all, uh, other than, I guess, you just kind of see that this is how he starts out. Like, this is, like, this is where he, like, comes from, I guess, is he, like, has to do this kind of thing to, like, survive. But at a certain point, we see him like he's actually he doesn't need to do this anymore and he's kind of the guy in charge and the train just keeps rolling like he just doesn't doesn't slam on doesn't stop put the put on the brakes at any point and then like just a complete contrast to where he's at in the end Mm -hmm. of the film and he's arguably uh i mean he's pretty unhappy in both situations at the very beginning and at the very end but he's arguably like more unhappy at the end (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's hard to tell though with him because he there is totally i think a valid reading of this film that he is evil you know that he's like evil incarnate and so it's it's hard to know like is he having a bad time when he's um is he unhappy i guess is, is a good question and maybe he is Maybe he is, but I think there's also like someone could interpret a lot of his actions. And I, and this is the way I interpreted it when I first saw it is like, Oh, he's, he's sort of like the devil. He's just kind of like the devil, <laughs> like literally, like he will stop at literally nothing. He has no like relationships that he has. No, he has no other motivation other than money and greed. Like what, you know, it, it's, uh and and maybe that's not true but i i know that like it's 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 hard to tell whether or not he's ha- like he's because i because I, I when i watch the end of this film i kind of think he seems pretty happy with what he just did <laughs> you know yeah i guess uh even but, though like yeah. he's he's like his body is rotting and falling apart <laughs> um yeah i don't know it's it's he's he's an interesting interesting character um in the in 1902, he discovers oil near Los Angeles and establishes a drilling company. Following the death of a co of a worker in an accident, Daniel adopts the man's orphan son. The boy H.W. becomes his normal business partner, allowing Daniel to present himself to potential investors as a family man. This pretty much like you pretty much get a sense of how like evil this guy is and greedy this guy is like kind of around this point when he's just like immediately using like the child of a worker mm-hmm. who died. I can't remember if it's, it's his fault. Is it his fault that his dad died? No, it, I no. He's, he's down there though. When the dad dies, like yeah. he almost dies, but another person dies instead, yes. which I think is interesting, right? <laughs> yes. But yeah. he just uses this child as a prop to basically, you know, get ahead in his oil business. Uh, yeah, which, and I would love to discuss this with you as we go. Like, and I think the question I want to ask you is, do you think he cares about that boy or do you think he just doesn't care about him? Because I know what he says <laughs> later, but I... I, there are moments in the film where I feel like he genuinely cares for and does not want to see the boy hurt. 
So, yeah, I think so too. I think yeah. I I think he's like in that scene at the end in the last time that we see him and um the boy together. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's like those are like the ramblings of just a drunk man who's just really mad. He's just really upset with himself that he like messed up this only chance of like having any sort of a family at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, anyway, 1911, uh, Daniel is approached by Paul Sunday, a young man who tells him of an oil deposit under his family's property in Little Boston, California. Daniel attempts to purchase the farm from the Sundays at a bargain price, but he is blocked by Eli, Paul's twin brother, and a local preacher. So, yeah, I love this. I I love Eli and Paul Sunday characters. They're, I mean... Yeah, they're kind of the same in my mind. Uh, but I think Paul's I mean, interesting because that 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 scene that's a scene that I never actually paid attention to in all my years watching it until this go. Uh, the Paul scene it's it's a lot more interesting than I remember, and they actually there's a, it takes a lot longer than I remember. Like he's he's basically like selling out his family, right? He I that's what I think he's doing, but he's also like really smart with um yes. with daniel like he's uh, yeah yeah like i can't tell if what he's doing uh, is uh if if the deal that he's trying to make is in the best interest of you know his family mm-hmm. um or not or i think it's is- not i think it's to screw him over because i and i but then again i can't really tell if he's lying in the end but you you hear daniel say that he gave paul ten thousand dollars and that started paul's own oil business Mm. which is I like see. which is weird because in that scene in the beginning we see him only give him five hundred dollars right so it's like it's hard to know it do they keep in touch like did, did did does daniel have actually a lot more admiration for paul than we suspected or that we get to see or is he totally lying to make uh eli feel worse at the end it's, it's hard to know but um paul presents as somebody who uh he also asked Daniel specifically if Daniel is a religious man. And mm. Daniel's answer is I respect all religions. And that's when Paul, I think pushes the gas on, on, on selling him where the land is. I think he's totally trying to take down that community. Um, well, Jeremy, I think you're right. And just to verify, I would like to finally bring in our guest. I invited him to our discord <laughs> chat tonight. Welcome. Paul Dano. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. What if I had somehow arranged for Paul Dano to... Dude, how funny would it be is if you got Paul Dano as a guest, but we never interviewed him? We just <laughs> made him sit there and we read the plot to him like this? <laughs> yeah. And just after every sentence said, remember that? Yeah. Or like, what do you think of that, Paul? And he's like, well, I was in it. I could tell you a lot more. And we're like, we actually got to keep moving. We can't <laughs> We can't let this go too long. <laughs> Um, Daniel attempts to purchase the farm from the Sundays at a bargain price, but he is blocked by Eli, Paul's twin brother, and a local preacher. Uh, in exchange for the rights to the property, Eli demands ten grand for my church. In uh, an agreement is made, and Daniel acquires all the available land in and around the Sunday property, save for the holdout, William Bandy. 
Ah, yeah, which is a something that I've never again when in all my viewings of it, I never really n- noticed or tracked. But this viewing, I paid way more attention to this William yeah. Bandy character. Me too. As her, as soon as I heard Bandy, I was like, "Oh right, this is uh, yeah, this is the thing that comes up, um, comes up later." Uh, a man arrives at Daniel's doorstep, claiming to be his half brother. Oh, Henry. Uh, wait, wait, wait! Uh, oil drilling commences. Oh, yes. Oil drilling commences, but as soon as a series of misfortunes occur, an accident kills one of uh, one worker and a gas blowout deafens H.W. Eli. H.W. Uh, Eli blames the disasters on the well not being properly blessed. This is my favorite uh, part of the score. This gas <sighs> blowout. Yeah, it's so good. I forget what tra- what this track is called. It's so good. It's yeah. It's just like one of the best uses of music in film. It's just insane. Yeah. Um, there's something that will always kind of be bone chilling of Daniel Day Lewis's delivery of one of the lines in this sequence too. Like he, so, and this is also one of the scenes that makes me think that he does love um, HW, like actually yeah. love HW. Uh, although it is really hard to know if he is just like upset and trying to secure a investment. Like, it, like does he consider him an investment or a son? But he he runs to get HW and and rescues him and then uh, brings him in and then HW begs him not to go and he leaves and I guess like the fire um, as be it, it's a disaster but it it somehow proves that there's so much oil under the ground I think because because yeah. Daniel's actually despite what happened really excited yeah. that it's it's happening and he he tells uh his friend um you know he's like why why do you have the long face like there's an ocean of oil under here and the, i'm the only one who can get at it and he and then the guy just asks him is hw okay and the line that haunts me so much is his delivery when he just says no <laughs> no yeah. he is not <laughs> It's just like so chilling, you know. Um, and then, of course, um, you see the friend walk away to go like help out HW, and he just stands there staring into the fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when Eli publicly demands the money still owed to him, Daniel beats and humiliates him. <laughs> uh, at the dinner table that night, Eli attacks and berates his father for trusting Daniel. That's a that's a crazy scene when he pushes yeah. him into the mud and keeps saying, "I'm gonna bury you." <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> nuts. Uh, a man arrives at Daniel's doorstep, claiming to be his half brother Henry. I forget who this actor is, but very very good. Oh, he's I don't great. know if you guys have his name offhand, but no, um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, he's he's great. And I remember, you know, I'm from Wisconsin, and any like obscure Wisconsin town reference. I always, I always love to hear in a film, and the guy drops Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. uh, which is something I always, uh, I've, for whatever reason, one of the things that I think of when I think of this movie is, oh hey, someone says Fond du Lac, because <laughs> <laughs> it's like not a place that anyone knows about. Anyone, yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, Daniel hires Henry, and two, the two uh, grow close. Uh, a jealous H.W. sets fire to their house, intending to kill Henry. Uh, a furious Daniel sends H.W. away to a school for the deaf in San Francisco. 
a representative from Standard Oil offers to buy out Daniel's local interests, but after a perceived slight, Daniel refuses and strikes a deal with Union Oil to build a pipeline to the California coast. Uh, however, Bandy's ranch remains <laughs> an impediment. It like this movie. It really dawned on me like with that scene uh, uh, where we're seeing a pipeline, how a pipeline is being built. It really right. dawned on me like, damn, that's a lot of work. I know, <laughs> that, and, and I really, that would take so long. I I agree, and I really only thought about it this viewing. Like I think that I've seen this movie maybe six times, and I think all the other five times, I low key maybe didn't even know what was going on in it. Like that's that's how impactful this last viewing was for me, where I think just watching it with older eyes, I'm like, mm. oh, I get what this stuff is now. <laughs> like before, I think I was just, I, I think I saw these sequences of them building a pipe and just thought, oh, they're just doing more oil stuff. Like I didn't quite understand what was at stake or what was even being said or <laughs> like, yeah, pretty pretty weird pretty weird uh realization that i'm kind of i'm kind of seeing a lot of this movie for the first time um reminiscing about his childhood daniel becomes suspicious uh to the truth of henry's story and confronts him one night at gunpoint this scene is bonkers uh (laughs) henry confesses that he was a friend of the real henry who died of tuberculosis and that he impersonated henry in hopes of gaining employment with daniel in a fit of rage, Daniel murders the imposter and buries the body. Oof. Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, can we roll back just for a second, though? Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a scene with Daniel DeLewis, or um, Daniel Plainview, and Henry. Uh, the scene by the fire where they're talking, it's earlier on. It's before he's even um, suspicious of Henry. And this is the big, the, mo- the big monologue for his character, I think, where he confesses to Henry that he doesn't really understand people. There's a competition mm, in him yep. where he doesn't want other people to win. He only wants him to win. And uh, he just feels like he can't keep going on with all these people. And then he like laughs. And I just want to know, like, what is your take on that? Like, like him and him admitting that to Henry, it, I feel like that rules him out for being a sociopath a little bit. It's, I mean, being able like to, that he's aware that, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so what do you what do you think from that scene? Because I think that's the only scene where he really talks about anything regarding who he is as a person. I think he's just I think he's really frustrated with his own like I think he's just like a weak man and he's just really like frustrated that he can't like he doesn't have the like willpower or like uh I don't know like the ethics to like not you know not put himself before everyone else like i think he he is just so um just hooked on like this power that he's found himself getting and the fact that he can just get become more and more powerful and rich and i think he's just too weak to like let himself you know uh abandon that like put that aside for like family or something or for like just being right. a nice person. Right. And I just really think this is just like that at the, at the fire, he's just like drunk on, you know, like whiskey or whatever. And, and is just like 
you know, confessing, like, yeah. you know, this is, that's kind of how I feel too in that scene uh, when he's like yes, yelling at his son yeah. at the end. It's like, this is a guy that's just so frustrated by his, like, Impotence or something, yeah. 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 What do you think of it? I, I'm, I was literally agreeing with you at everything you were saying. So I think that is what I think of it ultimately. I, you know, there is something about, um, like perhaps there's like trauma there that we don't know about. Um, I get, I think we have to assume that there is something there that's making him like, he talks about a hatred that grew basically for humanity. And that I think comes from like having just a really perspective of what humanity is all about. And, um, you know, I think, I think, uh, microscopically when you're looking at Daniel, I think you're absolutely right. Macroscopically. I think that it sort of seems to be like some kind of comment about how, like, like the people who do best in the world, in like the, the capitalism game are the ones who almost hate people the most. Like, it's almost like saying that you have to hate people in order to be really good at this. And I think that there's something to that for sure. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Um, let's see here. The next morning, Daniel is awakened by uh, Bandy who knows of Daniel's crime and wants Daniel to publicly repent in Eli's church in exchange (laughs) for the pipeline construction rights on his land. Uh, as part of his (laughs) baptism, Eli humiliates Daniel and coerces him into confessing that he abandoned his his son. <laughs> uh, sometime later, as the pipeline is under construction, HW is reunited with Daniel and Eli leaves a little Boston for missionary work. All right, going back to the the Eli mm-hmm. stuff. This is like so crazy. This is like the one of the most just like metaphorical, like <laughs> insane film scenes ever in in the history of cinema just this like crazy greedy oil baron agreeing to like basically confess like get baptized in a church just for like out of business uh Mm -hmm. interests Mm -hmm. it's insane yeah and he's willing to like just you know yell out like i've abandoned my child yeah (laughs) and stuff like that just in the interest of making money i i also love that he's faking it he can't even fake it he's so bad at being up there (laughs) yeah yeah, i know that he's literally saying stuff like give me the blood eli so i can get out of (laughs) here he like literally says give me the blood eli so i can get out of (laughs) here while everyone's chanting and going like yeah it's also a scene where um you talk about impotence you can feel the impotence in every performer in this because Eli gets to finally slap the shit out of Daniel, which is something he's wanted to do probably the whole film. And Daniel can't do anything about it. And it's like, it makes you, it makes my, my teeth hurt <laughs> to watch, to watch uh, a guy who, I mean, I would describe Daniel Day Lewis's body in this film as monstrous. I think to me, yeah. he's like a towering, tall psycho. And Eli is so small in comparison and frail. It's just like, oh man. It's like, it's like, it's like literally like somebody poking a sleeping giant. It's like, stop doing this. Um, but it's, yeah. Uh, I want to ask you at the end, which scene you like better, this scene or the milkshake scene, but, uh, we'll get there. Um, 
Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. Uh, do you think, do you, would you feel more sympathetic to Daniel Plainview if we did have a scene where we learn that he had like a really, uh, I don't know, like brutal, like traumatic childhood? Um, would that have been effective? No, I'm glad they didn't do that because I actually don't. I I think the film is trying to get away from some of that stuff. But yeah, I do I do think I like when you're looking at people like in, intrinsically or holistically or intersectionally, like I think that that's always something that you want to ask is like, like okay, he's different than other people. Well, why? It, it might be well, it might have something to do with his upbringing, his childhood, like what he went through to get where he is right now. But I do think that um. Ultimately, I actually do feel sympathy for Daniel Plainview. Like, I actually do. I think he's like a compelling enough and rich enough character. That even though he's cruel and brutal, I actually do find him to. I I do feel like something for him. Like, I do feel bad for him in 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 certain ways and in certain scenes more than others. Like, um, like I feel bad for him. Like, it, it, like he's clearly so uh off in that scene where he's like yelling at all the people in the restaurant you know what i mean like that like you just feel like oh god like he's he's so uncomfortable even though he's so wealthy it's just like but it's like the same thing with citizen kane like that's a really good example or a really good comparison point of like you feel bad for charles foster kane even though he's like the villain of the film you know um i think that comes from like really great performances what about you do you would do you wish there was more backstory to daniel plainview no, I'm kind of glad there's not. I, I, I mean, I also feel bad for him. You know. Yeah. I think he's he's you know he's obviously terrible, but like, you can still feel bad for the guy. Oh yeah, for sure. yeah, for sure, yeah. Um. So in 1927, H.W. marries. I also really love, really love the scene where just when we just see, um, H.W. reuniting with Daniel, and he just punches the hell out of him. For a little oh, while, yeah. uh-huh. just a little kid punching him and yeah, just letting out his anger. Yeah, uh, that's great. That's also, great. we kind of are skipping over a great scene here where H.W. and Daniel uh, going. Uh, it's the scene immediately after that where they go to the um, they go to the restaurant. The restaurant, the, yeah. This the is the one I was referencing. Yeah, where he yells yeah. at the yeah. the standard U.S. Standard Oil people. <laughs> yeah. Um, 1927, H.W. marries uh, Mary Sunday, the younger sister of Paul and Eli. He visits Daniel, who is now an extremely wealthy but alcoholic recluse in a large mansion. Uh, Though a sign language interpreter, or through a sign language interpreter, H.W. asks his father to dissolve their partnership so that he can establish his own independent drilling company in Mexico. Um... Daniel reacts brutally, mocking H.W.'s deafness before revealing his true origins as an orphan bastard from a basket. H.W. Uh, tells Daniel he is glad that they are not related and storms out. Daniel continues to jeer at H.W. as he departs. Yeah, this is just, like, so pathetic. Ugh, <laughs> like, it's so it's just, brutal. It's, like, hard to watch. There's so many great specifics, though, in this sequence. Like, we get to see a little bit of what Daniel's life is now that he's in a, you know, big, beautiful home. And it's just, like, perfect 
terrible rich guy specifics like he's shooting a gun at his own furniture he's got these (laughs) giant great dane dogs who just run amok inside of his house uh you know he's he's clearly got a a bit of that charles foster kane ebenezer scrooge like office a candlelit office environment chain smoking i mean it's just like and, and at this point in the film they do such a good job of like he's aged up enough without looking like way too old, but his body looks like it's been through it. Like he, he's at this point, I would call him, he's almost like a hunchback. He's like, he's got, got almost like scoliosis. He's so like his, his spine seems to bend in a way that's just like really strange to look at. Um, but yeah, I also love the, um, the actor who plays older HW. He is like, uh, at this point I would call him a bit of like a, like a celebrity like he's he's uh been in a bunch of stuff that i really really like including multiple seasons of fargo oh okay yeah Yeah, he's like familiar he's like the deaf assassin in fargo oh yes okay yeah i remember that guy yeah um let's see eli visits daniel who is drunk in his private bowling alley uh, Eli, now a radio preacher, offers to sell Daniel the property rights to the Bandy Ranch as William Bandy has died. Uh, Daniel agrees on the condition that Eli denounces his faith and his own credibility. Uh, Eli reluctantly acquiesces only for Daniel to then reveal that the property is now worthless because he has already drained its oil by slant drilling from neighboring wells. Um, shaken, Eli confesses to being in dire financial straits and to having strayed morally uh daniel taunts eli in revenge for his own previous humiliation before chasing him around the bowling alley and eventually beating him to death with a bowling pin uh exhausted but satisfied daniel collapses on the floor next to eli's body when his butler appears to ask about the commotion daniel announces i'm finished so that happened. <laughs> yeah, that movie <laughs> happened. Uh, that was um, that's also the famous milkshake scene, which uh, I got to say for being almost a parody of itself. I mean, whole SNL skits have been written about the milkshake scene. I wrote my own sketch about the milkshake scene. Mm. Um, it's still for some whatever reason never gets old like it never gets less powerful and for me anyway for my money it's still one of like the all-time great monologues of the you know 21st century i mean it's it is it's and i think what really helps keep it fresh is it's never the same way you remember it like you always remember it being a little different and then when you see him do it again you're like oh wow there's all, all these different parts i forget about it like him saying that he's the third revelation. I'm like, oh yeah, that's weird. There's and, and everything he's saying is weird. <laughs> it's like, it's like non sequitur after non sequitur. You know mm-hmm. the way he pushes him so like gently, yet it's so mean. The way he like keeps pushing him on the shoulder while he's really giving it to Eli. You know, um, I I would love to ask if I ever if I ever um met Paul Dano. I would love to ask Paul Dano if at any point while filming that he was actually freaked out like, or scared of like, yeah. of like Daniel's 
very committed performance. I mean, I'm sure they blocked the whole running around and throwing the bowling pin stuff. So maybe not then, but like just being so towering over him and in his face, like that must've been a really intense room to be in. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. When he's doing all that stuff. So it's like, I, I wonder what was going through Paul Dano's mind when he's watching it. I mean, I know he's in character being freaked out, but I, I want, I want to know like how, um, uh, you know, how, how, uh, what's it like? How into the role was he? You know, um, was he actually like kind of like, cause I think I get freaked out for him watching this every time, even though I know there are actors in a room. Yeah. It's like one of the great, like powerful, just crazy performances from like, I mean, both of them. I mean, just insane, uh, insane, like artistry. It, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's really, really good. Really well done. I think to answer your question, I mean, this scene, uh, the milkshake scene is so iconic, Yeah. but um, it makes me like really like, uh, I, I, I think I, I think like story wise, I really like the, I've abandoned my child yeah, yeah, scene yeah. a little bit more because it's just, it's a little bit more cathartic at least to see this guy having to like admit to some of his, you know, sins and stuff. I agree. Um, yeah. Even if he doesn't believe in it when he's saying it, like it you I actually think that in this in this in that moment you, he him like having to say this over and over. I think you kind of see in his like like the way he says it over time is he's like it's like dawning on him like, "Oh, I guess I did. I guess I did like abandon that kid." Um, yeah <laughs> and uh yeah yeah i mean I, I i don't know which one of the two is your favorite scene this time i mm-hmm. pick the one you picked also i think that the milkshake scene is so great but i think there is i think narratively i do really like i think they both are great narratively but i do i do kind of like the energy of the of that scene in the church um and the heck like the chaos of it it's just staged really well too and um i think the only thing that for me with the milkshake scene is like i don't know it's weird so and and let's get into let's get i wanted to ask you about this too like this is definitely paul thomas anderson doing kubrick to me uh after we've after we've done so much stanley kubrick uh, I was actually kind of thinking about that, how like sort of just mentally comparing the vibe uh, yeah. to like Nicholson just losing on the brink of losing his mind at, right. towards the end of The Shining, like he's just <laughs> right. off his rocker. Right. Yeah. And it's also shot a lot like a Kubrick film. The whole movie is. But uh, specifically, this bowling alley sequence is right out of a Clockwork Orange. Like... In fact, I believe there's a little bit of oh, trivia yeah. where he painted the walls white just so it to give it a more clockwork orange feel. Um and you know, I I love it. Of course, I love it. I think it's I think it's amazing. I do like it better I think when Paul Thomas Anderson is doing Paul Thomas Anderson though. Mm-hmm. Like I think there is something to this scene where I'm like it's a little Kubricky for me. It's a little it's I could see the strings of him trying to pull off a Kubrick moment, which I think he does very well. But like even the line, like I'm finished to me, I'm like, that is it's, it's almost too perfect 
Does that make does that kind of make sense? Where I, I know it's a weird complaint, but yeah. it's like it's almost like too symbolic or too metaphorical for me. Where I'm like, yeah, okay, but I kind of like when I kind of like how Paul Thomas Anderson captures reality, like people being people. And this is just mm-hmm. this scene. This scene at the end does I think, and maybe there's maybe maybe you'd argue with me about this, but I don't think this scene takes place in reality. Like it just this would never happen with any buddy ever (laughs) like like no matter how rich you are you don't just kill someone in front of your butler like there's no character in history of mankind who's would talk about a milkshake in the middle of this business trans (laughs) you know what i mean it's just like yeah it's very it's uh no one would say i'm finished sitting next to a corpse to their butt you know it's just like it's all sort of lives in like psycho land whereas the church scene it's very grounded like i could totally see that really happening um, yeah, I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. Yeah. So you think like in the world of this story, it actually happened or do you think? Oh, yeah, yeah, some... yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I think gotcha. that. I, I, I'm just, I, I get yeah. what you mean then. Yeah. I'm just saying like in, in the actual world, this this would not happen. Whereas I think the rest of the film could plausibly happen. Man, um, isn't it like crazy to watch movies from a director where every movie you don't have to like think. Was, do you think that part was a dream? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> like with yeah. every David Lynch movie, or like oh. absolutely with every David Lynch um, movie, that was the case. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I also was kind of thinking, just like the the way he kills him is like, I mean, I could see someone getting killed like this in like a Halloween movie or something, like Michael Myers doing it. Like it is kind of like uh, with the bowling pin. It's kind of like. I mean, it could happen, you know, but like, uh, it, 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 it seems it, it, I don't know. There's something about it that seems like a little over the top or something to me too. But at the same time, I don't know. I'm kind of almost just trying to pick out something to, um, critique just, yeah. I, I, I really do. Like, I actually do really love the, the way that this, the way that this end, this ends, I think. Um, I do I mean, too. I, yeah, I, I I guess I don't know about the "I'm finished" line. I do think that is a little bit too much. Um, I think it's a little too much, but I also I don't know what else could go there or what could go after this. It's it's perfect. Um, I mean, I, I'll say that <laughs> I, I think it's perfect. I, I I do think that it's it suits the film perfectly it was very powerful when i first saw it you know i i, I it's not really a complaint so much as it, you kind of notice by the end here that it's almost like uh, I, I don't even want to use this word but it's almost like a little pretentious or something it's something there's something about it where i'm like this uh it's uh, too arty or, or something it's it's weird to even say that out loud but it, it's it's perfect in a way that i think my taste kind of goes no nah, i, I could have done something different here or maybe maybe if something different happened here it'd be it would feel more authentic but it's it's hard to argue with. Like you said, like I, I it's really not, I can't complain about it. <laughs> it's like it's yeah. too cool. <laughs> like it's just it looks too cool. Is to say I'm finished after that is too cool. Uh, I believe that I'm finished is also the last two words Jesus said <laughs> before he died. Oh wow. <laughs> um, 
I mean, I will say, you know, one thing that I'll say about this movie more than most of the other PTAs or maybe all of them is I think this movie, like there's, it looks incredible and, you know, obviously just the, the concept and, and, you know, the casting and the everything, uh, the direction is great. But like the fact that this is a PT, like the PTA movie is like maybe like, uh, not at the top of the, my list for me is why I love this movie. Like I, I genuinely Daniel Day Lewis's performance and Paul Dano's performances are like why I, what I think about when I think about this movie. Mm-hmm. I think about that. I think about the score. Yeah, uh, same. That was a know. big one for me. This this go around was the score. The score. I know we haven't talked about it a lot, but it it really was one of the more impressive things about watching this film to me this time i really noticed the score and fell in love with it a lot more than i ever than i ever had like, before you know incredible actors work with pta but i really think more than anything like daniel day lewis in this movie it's just like this is like the best acting performance uh arguably in like you know i guess it's been over a decade now but it's it's just it's unbelievable it's so good and when yeah. you, especially when you like, kind of see Daniel Day Lewis in other stuff, you're like, damn, he can like. Yeah. I would hate to get into the like the headspace of Daniel Plainview every day. And, like, <laughs> have to be yeah, this guy. it's 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 also <laughs> like, um, you know, it's weird because we also have Bill the Butcher, which is another Daniel Day Lewis performance that is it's it's kind of similar to this one. With uh, way more of like a New York accent, I think like uh, he or he has this like Bostonian or Brooklyn or some sort of East Coast thing going on in Gangs of New York. But um, and I guess the mustaches might be a little different, but he's uh, but yeah, it's 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 like a similar vibe to that, mm. but it's um, but it's like so and it's like weird because it's like the. It, I look at this performance a lot and I go like, yeah, this is the best acting I've ever seen. And I, and I can't decide if I think this person really exists though. (laughs) Do you know what I I mean? I think, I I mean, I think it's, it's, it's kind of realistic to me. And part of it is just like the period part of it where I'm like, well, I wasn't around during that time. So I don't know. But like, I mean, I don't know. I could kind of see a guy like this. I, I mean, think I can too, ultimately. But I always to do the things yeah. he does, you really got to be like a hardened. Like he's a really hardened, uh, uh, just monster, uh, ruthless monster. Yeah. 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 Um, Jeremy. Our, yes. Chucky Freckles. What Chucky do you got? Freckles. What are you giving this bad boy? This is a this is this is a perfect movie in in my opinion. Um, I really have not no no educated things to say about it negatively. Even the thing that I kind of tried to get at with the ending, I'm like, I'm so unsure that I even feel that way. Um, so it gets, it gets four out of four for me. I mean, also I want to say that like this experience of watching it this last time was like pretty amazing. Like I, um, when I watched it today, actually, uh, it was the middle of the day and I, I didn't even, it's, it was so compelling to me. I didn't get on my phone once. Like, and that's really weird. Like, um, you know, uh, it just really drew me in this this time for whatever reason. I was really here for it. So four out of four for me. What about you? 
Um, yeah, just everything thematically, just the way everything, the acting and directing is executed, like just all of it. Um, yeah, it's a four, it's an easy four out of four for me. Um, love this movie. Probably won't see it again for another like five years. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Intentionally, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I I feel like, okay, this is my weird hot take. What do you think of this? I feel like maybe you shouldn't watch this all the time. Yeah, you definitely shouldn't watch this. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it, well no, for obvious reasons. Like I think you're alluding to, like yeah, because it's a miserable film. But also, <laughs> I think that um, it I think it I think the charm of it comes from some of the surprise, and I yeah. think that if you're watching it yeah. too much, um, it, it it takes a lot of the impact away from the performances and stuff. So revisiting it is so cool because, um, like I don't like for example, Punch Drunk Love. I think you should watch that all the time. Like, I don't think that's a film that loses potency the more times you see it. In fact, you might just notice more things about it. But There Will Be Blood, I feel like it's just... To watch those those heavy performances too much, back-to-back, I feel like you're, you're, it would desensitize you to it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, and I don't know. It's just like you can't listen to the Beatles all the time because right. <laughs> other music's not going to be as good. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, Jeremy, next week we're doing, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson again, and we're, I'm, you know, I'm kind of excited for this one, I think. Which one is Alien it? versus Predator. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. I think this is the one, I mean, this is the one that we kind of, the, the bit of our podcast name comes from, so hopefully it's decent. Uh, <laughs> but. It almost you know. for sure won't be, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, I can't wait. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So I don't know. And Brian made a good point. He he's he's been. I, I guess he watched Predator Two today or something. Okay, um, Predator Two with Danny Glover. Sure. I haven't seen any of the Predators, so I think I, I you know I might have to if I have some time. Maybe I'll have to watch one or one at least those. watch but, the uh, first one. I think the first one is like a very tasty '80s film. But you know, maybe may, that could be a Patreon thing and we could do one or two of those movies at some point too, uh, next month if we're, if we're thinking about it. But, uh, Jeremy, uh, anything you want to plug before we sign off? Nah, I'm good. All right. You too. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy, uh, for bonus episodes, $5 a month. And Norma, I'll see you in my dreams. Mm. Mm. Thank you.